You're listening to Switched On Australia, the podcast that tracks the opportunities and challenges of electrifying everything, everywhere. Switched On is brought to you by the publishers of Renew Economy, Australia's best informed, most read website focusing on the green energy transition and is supported by Boundless Earth, using philanthropy, investment and direct advocacy to help Australia become a global force in a decarbonised world. Hello and welcome to the Switched On podcast, our last episode for the year. I'm Anne Delaney. Thanks for joining me. And I'd like to acknowledge that Switched On is recorded and produced on Arakwell country, part of the Bundjalung Nation in northern New South Wales. Lord Howe Island is getting electrified. From being totally dependent on expensive dirty diesel to generate their electricity that has to get shipped in from the mainland, the island is now going renewable. Located 500 kilometres due east of Port Macquarie in New South Wales, Lord Howe is a beautiful world heritage island. Its flora and fauna are unique. And it's home for around 400 people, and it also accommodates a maximum of 400 tourists at any one time. After years trying to get a large-scale renewable project off the ground to help the islanders reduce their reliance on diesel, Lord Howe finally started building a solar farm and battery storage in 2019 with investment from ARENA and the New South Wales Government. Today, nearly 70% of the island's power is generated by the solar farm. And the island board, along with the locals, want to take that to 100%. Stuart Watson has had a long connection with the island. He installed some of the original solar panels on the private residences and resorts over a decade ago. And he's been working for many years helping community renewable projects get off the ground as the chair of the community energy group, Energy Forever. When I spoke to Stuart last week, he'd uh, sailed out to the island to check on the solar panels he'd installed and to see how the solar farm is going. It's really a good news story. Uh, after so many years of investigations and uh, so many reviews and so many PhD students studying how we could do renewables on Lord Howe Island, the system that Photon has put in and that the board was able to install with the ARENA grant is is just performing better than expectations. Uh, whilst they didn't include the wind component of the uh, of the final design, the system is supplying 69% of the of the power on the island is is renewable now, which is just a fantastic result. Getting the solar farm up and running, that was very fraught and it took a long time, didn't it? It took a long time, but I suppose with the benefit of hindsight, uh, the fact that we've now got such cheap solar installation in Australia uh, compared to what it was a decade ago, the solar component is much larger than what they originally envisaged. The 2010 design by PowerCore was a mostly wind with a couple of hundred kilowatts of solar. Now we've got 1.2 megawatts of solar with no wind after Josh Frydenberg's call that they wouldn't allow wind on the island, on the World Heritage Island. There was a lot of concern about wind by some of the uh, the residents, particularly with concern for the uh, the breeding shearwaters on the island. So it's wind for the moment is off the agenda. It would have been a nice accompaniment. It is a very windy location. It was easy to work out that the wind contribution could be suitable. 
but uh, now we've got you know 1.2 meg of, of PV and and uh, 3.2 megawatt hour of batteries, and that's that's doing 70% of of the load of the island, and it's quite feasible that with um, some more storage we'll be able to get to 100%. Mm, that's incredible. And uh, what's your personal opinion though about about wind? Do you think that wind would have been a good option? My personal opinion, I do think it would have been a good option, particularly with some of the the smaller 300 kilowatt turbines that they've used on other island locations that are that can be put down for for cyclones and can be uh, managed for bird strike. But my feeling is it's off the agenda, and and with the reduced cost of of PV now, enhanced watts per square meters, we'll get a result with 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 solar alone. It was incredibly interesting looking at the 2010 proposal for uh, storage and generation on the island compared to what's happening in 2020 and the industry has moved so rapidly um, it, it's it's really good to look back and see what was proposed and what actually happened. Mm, that's, that's amazing. Just yeah. give me a description of, of how the energy profile has changed. How dependent on fossil fuels was the island? Well, the reduction in fossil fuel use, when you get the figure of 600,000 litres per annum, is enormous. It's 50,000 litres a month. So the the reduction in the greenhouse gas benefits are just just huge. It's It's a great story. And it's so much more difficult to implement a solar farm battery storage uh, and an energy management system out here than it is on the mainland. I think it's a, just a, a shining example of what we could do in, in other communities not so remote. So yeah, it's a, it's a good news story. Mm. And so all of that diesel, that had to be shipped in, didn't it? So that, that, that was the, the cost of the shipping, that was the actual cost of the, the diesel. That is a massive saving, isn't it? It is a massive saving, but it was also a concern for the local residents is that the diesel shipping actually subsidised their their other shipping. So now that that freight has been removed, uh, there's a concern that they'll get a less uh, often service um, from the ship. Oh, so, right. Yeah, that's very, <laughs> there was very much concern. That was what held back... I think the uh, the implementation for a long time was how they were going to to cope with uh, the economies of scale of shipping, and it's still a, it's still a valid concern of the residents moving forward. Gas is there's a large gas use on the use on the island, and the focus of a lot of the residents now is um, to reduce their gas consumption and you know the use of heat pumps and induction cooktops can drastically reduce the amount of gas that's needed to be shipped to the island. Mm. And and do you think that that's possible in the near term? Yeah, I do, I do think it's possible. Electrification um, is, is just such a good thing for the island, but it's disruptive change in how we deal with it. So um, yeah, the board's been very careful as to how quickly we can allow people to uh, move off gas and, and the effects it'll have on the supply chain. What what do you think though it's going to take to to be able to to get off gas for cook and I presume it's for mainly for cooking isn't it Yeah mainly for cooking and hot water particularly for the large resorts um, they've got large kitchens and and large gas use 
I think it'll get down to actually the cost of the consumer if we can make it cheaper for them to get off gas and thus wise compensate the increased shipping costs, um, it'll be a win-win. So it's got to benefit everyone. So that's why the board's being very careful with the community strategic plan as to how they handle the changes, the upcoming changes. But in terms of the actual grid handling that that greater need, you don't think that's that's a major concern. It's more the the issue with the offsetting the shipping. Yeah, I don't think that's the the grid. The thing that's going to improve the grid here will be smart metering. So, Lord House pretty unique, and it's one of the only places in 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 New South Wales that doesn't have a mobile phone coverage. So um, that's that's the next challenge is to get a communications network that will allow smart metering to to all the houses or to all the locations. Right. Okay. So that that's going to be quite crucial, isn't it, in terms of managing demand and um, demand management? That that's is, right. Yes. Yeah. Will that hold the island back in terms of getting to 100%, do you think? No, the plan is very much to move towards it. So I'm looking forward to the community strategic plan in February and, and really the focus is is on smart metering and, and demand control. So just using the, the power we've got now uh, smarter. So it's great to look at the... There's a Photon Energy have a... Um, a portal that you can view the energy on on Lord Howe Island in real time, and um, you know, that's my favourite screensaver. <laughs> that's unusual. <laughs> yeah, a source of joy looking at it. Yeah. Do you know how much the island has actually saved from adopting renewables? Well, I think it's a ten-year plan to pay off the the loan, so um, it's more about greenhouse gas savings than than cost savings. The actual energy costs to the consumer are quite high here at the moment. They're higher than on the mainland, but the objective is to drive it down into the future. So yeah, it's more about uh, greenhouse gas savings and cost savings at the moment, but yeah, huge diesel cost savings, but that's being used to pay off the loan for the, uh, for the infrastructure. Mm. Now, how much do the islanders pay for diesel? Four dollars a litre for diesel for islanders here, or for for fuel. The fuel that the board uses, they get a diesel subsidy, so it's still the regional diesel sub subsidy. I'm not sure exactly how much that is, but I'm I'm confident that within within the decade we can see this island being 100% renewable. The great thing that's come out of the renewable energy project here is the reliability. The uh, excellent system reliability, better than than most places on the mainland. The two-year review for ARENA uh, has been recently done and they're really, really happy with the results. It's clear to see that more storage would be a great thing. Where they go with storage, whether it's distributed or at the solar farm, that's the sort of decisions that need to be made with the community strategic plan. And you've also, you put in some of the original solar for the, the homes. How are the, the locals feeling about their, their solar production too? Oh, look, um, the locals that have solar love it. They've got a one-for-one feed-in tariff here. So the people that were lucky enough to, to get on the lottery to get the solar in the first place love it. And there's a, there's a big appetite for other residents to get solar or to be 
included in the uh, in the electrification of the island. So everyone's pretty happy with with the result as far as the diesel abatement's concerned. The island board are releasing their community strategic plan this coming February and there'll be some plans of how they'll move forward towards 100% electrification and towards some flexible um, tariffs and and hopefully smart metering. And EVs are also now a feature of the island. Tell me tell me how many EVs there, there are now. Oh, there's 14 private EVs on the island. Um, just feel really surge of pride when I go past the EVs because I've pushed and pushed. There's about half a dozen um, neighbourhood electric vehicles, small golf buggies. They were the first ones to arrive a decade ago. It's just a no-brainer to to use electric vehicles here where uh, the speed limit's 25 kilometres an hour. There's there's only about 25 kilometres of road and fuel's about $4 a litre. So the, the smaller EVs have been very popular, the imported um, Japanese EVs, and we've got now five of the BYD, the small BYD vans on the island. Uh, so everyone that's got them is particularly happy with them. You said that you, you pushed and pushed for the EVs. What was the resistance there? Uh, costs and for the neighbourhood electric vehicles they had to comply with the Australian design with the New South Wales road rules and design rules so there is an exemption that was applied with the help of uh, the state government but there was a bit of uh, bit of political work to get that happening. And I understand that there are there are a lot of electric bikes now on the island? Yeah yeah every every uh, electric bike you can imagine is here I'd have to put the figure to a couple of hundred. It's just the, the, the suitable mode of transport when it's $4 a litre for fuel and you've got short distances to run. It's the chosen mode of transport for most people to move around the island with fuel at $4 a litre. It's just common sense and such a great climate that yeah, the uptake's been fantastic. Give me an idea of how hilly Lord Howe Island is because certainly the pictures show it's quite mountainous. Uh, it's flat between the north and south end of the island, but the central living area, there's uh, quite a steep hill, so that's where the electric bikes come into their own. Joy's Hill, it's called. It's, it's the challenge if you can pedal up and down that. That's where people just love their e-bikes. Tell me about how they manage the, the charging of the EVs on the island, because obviously the, uh, there must be restrictions on the electricity use. The Island Board um, manage the distribution network here and they're very careful that they don't exceed maximum demand so there's no uh, air conditioning allowed, uh, no electric stoves allowed so majority of all the cooking is gas, a lot of the hot water backup is gas, the hot water is uh, solar thermal hot water so the board restricts devices to plug-in devices but it's it's really quite adequate for people to use their granny charges we call them the small charges that come with the car to charge them and no one seems to have any problem with future expansion they'll look at controlling when people can charge their evs and and typically with a good day the um, the tesla battery on the island is fully charged and and the solar is reduced of an afternoon so just having an afternoon charging regime uh, seems to be the way they'll move forward. And you're listening to the Switched On podcast. My guest today is Stuart Watson, the Chair of Energy Forever. 
And we're talking about the remarkable story of how Lord Howe Island is going electric. So, Stuart, how much are the locals paying for their electricity now? Yeah, the board charges different prices for domestic and commercial customers out here. The commercial customers are actually paying upwards of uh, 80 cents a kilowatt hour. So, and, and they're very large users because they have to provide desalinated water for their customers. So a lot of the commercial customers are looking at standalone generation for their desalination plants. So that's something that will be a challenge into the future as to how they desalinate and provide water for their uh, customers. So yeah, interesting that it's mm. it's a good news story, the solar here, but power is really quite expensive. The LCOE is still really quite high. Mm. What are they going to need to be able to do that, do you think, the commercial operators? Um, 30 to 40 kilowatts for each resort to generate 10 to 20,000 litres of water a day so that people can have their spas and showers and baths. Right. Uh, are there a lot of spas on Lord Howe Lord Island? <laughs> there are some exclusive resorts that are, are pretty incredible. Initially, when renewables first came to the island, w- was there a lot of suspicion about them? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So adapting to change was a big thing. I mean, they've lived admirably on diesel power for you know some 50 years so the expertise in running three large diesels was was a was a great thing that was admirable the diesels were moved in the early 2000s from the main part of the village up to uh, the central part so they were taken the noise was taken away from the main part of the village and now the diesels are only running for you know two to three hours a day which is which is phenomenal and what, and what about actually integrating the renewables with uh, a, a diesel-fired electricity grid? How difficult was that? The, the, the Tesla controller, the uh, engineers just think it's a marvellous device. So it's got reliability, uh, the synchronisation of the, the solar, the load and the diesel is really... Well, the way the uh, the chief electrician described it to me, a work of art. So they, they can override <laughs> it and have manual control, but they're very, very happy with the reliability and the performance of the system. The system was put in with 232 kilowatt power packs and, and they're not made by Tesla anymore. So the challenge is what would be the new storage, the storage system going forward. So that's, that's the focus on how they're going to increase the storage. And what area, what sort of area does that spread across? Because, you know, obviously putting a solar farm in a World Heritage area, how have they done that? It's at an area called Transit Hill in the centre of the island, which is not visible from the beaches or the the main township area. And it was uh, a rural lease that was used for cattle grazing. So it's it's covering a field of Kaikuyu. There's some thoughts about putting sheep in underneath it, but... You'll see the photos, it's fairly unobtrusive from most parts of the island. A good spot, a good north-facing hill, and it was done ground-mounted, uh, rammed uh, frames. If it was done today, they'd most probably have tracking panels, so anything new could be done with tracking, so you'd have less actual area for the same yield. 
So that was lucky that the cows had been on Lord Howe Island, I suppose, <laughs> so yeah. they could have appropriate land for the solar panels. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, so it was previously cleared land. There was no, um, no forest cleared to actually uh, install a solar farm. And what do you think that other communities can learn from what Lord Howe has done and how they've done it? They can learn about community cooperation. It really is uh, a community where everyone contributes here. It's a difficult place to do anything because of the distance and the shipping constraints. I kind of feel if we can do it here, we can do it anywhere. And the results have got to be so astounding. The Arena Grant was uh, some six million and four million was contributed by the um, the state government and the board is paying that back so it was an 11 million dollar project so similar similar sized medium scale farms and storage could be done you know, on the mainland for you know virtually half the price i think it's just a, a microcosm of what we could do on the mainland so like i said the screensaver of the um, the photon energy transfer that I have, I love, and show it off to people all the time to say, hey, yeah, this is what we could do in regional areas in New South Wales with mid-scale solar and storage. It's affordable, it's doable, it's a great story. Fantastic, Stuart. Stuart Watson, thank you so much for joining the Switched On podcast today and uh, happy sailing back to the mainland. Yeah, and thanks again, Anne, and uh, it's been great for the opportunity to highlight how great Lord Howe Island is. It's a jewel in the crown in Australia. It's world heritage. It's fantastic to see what this community's done out here. And Stuart Watson is the chair of the community energy group Energy Forever. And I can assure you he has now reached shore safely after a great sail back from Lord Howe. Lucky him. Well, that's a wrap for this week's Switched On podcast and our last podcast for the year. We'll be off air for a while, but hoping to be back next year, funding permitting, fingers crossed. The Switched On podcast and website is produced by the team at Renew Economy and has been supported by the Boundless Foundation. Thank you very much for listening this year. I hope you all have a safe and joyful end of year break and you get to celebrate it in the way that's best for you. And if you have time over the break, check out some of our back catalogue on your favourite podcast platform. There's lots there to inspire you on your electrification journeys. I'm Anne Delaney. Keep electrifying. <laughs>